Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. So I've realized something about myself this week, actually. I realized that I am a very obnoxious competitor. <laughs> Maybe you already knew this about me. Sorry, I'm a little late to the party. But um, I, I did. I realized this because, like, if I'm playing you in basketball, I'm going to talk trash with you the whole time. I'm just going to try and get in your head. And if I beat you, I'm not going to let you forget about it. And if we're riding down the road and we're playing Name That Tune, you know, next song comes on the radio, you have to name it. I'm going to let you know that I have more musical knowledge than you do. And I, I'm obnoxious about it. I'm telling you, I really am. And last Saturday, we had our annual DCC fantasy football draft. And I was attending a funeral earlier that day. And so I actually got there a little bit late to the draft. And I walked in and I'm wearing a suit. To the, to the football draft. I mean, I'm looking sharp. I walk in wearing a suit and, and I've also got on my two championship rings as I walk in from previous championships from years before. And uh, I, actually, I actually tweeted before I went in, before I walked into the blend where the draft was being held, I actually took a picture and tweeted it and I said, these boys don't know what's about to hit them. And some of you are liking that. You should not encourage that out of me. I don't know why you do that, but you do it. But, but what I really loved is that when I walked into the room, there were some other DCC fantasy football champions from years past that they were sporting their rings too. And, and I thought, man, this is fantastic because arrogance is contagious, right? And, uh, and so it was great. And, you know, arrogance goes far beyond these $30 fantasy football rings, or in my case, $60 because I've won twice told you it's a problem that I have but arrogance goes far beyond that because we like to display our trophies so that everyone can see how great that we are or how great life is going for us you know and there's this fine line between you know bragging on, on what God has blessed you with and then actually being you know a little obnoxious about it and but we all do it we all want to display the trophies of life, don't we? That's what we want to do. We want something great to happen, and then we want to show it off. And if we get a new, a new car, then we want to post pictures of our new ride. We want everyone to see that new ride. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying that's how we are as humans. We want to show off our trophies, right? Do you see, you see these, right? Have I told you about these? These are two fantasy football championships that I won, okay? We, we want to show these things off. When we move into our dream home... We want everyone to see our new digs, you know. We, this, this is where, where I'm living now. This is, this is mine. When our significant other shows off their love for us, we want everyone to know about it. He sent you flowers. And I see your, your pictures you put up on social media. Make some of us sick. But, but yeah, yeah, especially us guys in the room, we're like, Man, dude, why? Why are you showing us up like that, you know? When we get a, a, a new job or a promotion at work, we, we show off our trophies to impress others. Uh, even our children, our families, they can become trophies that make us feel accomplished because a trophy is something that acknowledges an achievement. And we like to show off our achievements. But when prized possessions get broken... 
I believe that, that it's at that moment that somewhere in our minds something happens. There's a switch that takes place that we just don't think that they can be as valuable as they once were. Let me show you what I'm talking about. That new car. You get that new car. You wash that car every week. You vacuum it out. You armor all the tires, you know. But you park that car in a parking lot and someone walks out of the, the store and they, they bump that car and dent that car. It, for some reason, it loses its value a little bit in our minds. You let that first scratch happen on that car and suddenly we're not washing it every week anymore. We're washing it once a month and we're certainly not armor all in the tires. Not after that. Because in our minds something happens that, that something that was once valuable, now it's broken or some way somehow it's broken. It's just not as valuable as it was before. You move into that new home and, and the new carpet gets stained. The house does not feel fresh and new anymore once that happens. If your marriage goes through some serious brokenness. It's in that moment that if you're not careful, it's not as sacred and valued as it once was. And suddenly you don't treat it with as much care as you once did. And there's this old adage that, that says, if it's not broke, don't fix it. If it's not broke, don't fix it. But in, in God's kingdom, it's more like this. If it's not fixed, let it break. If it's not fixed, let it break. That's, that's how God operates. My son has a 2005 midsize pickup. And not long after he got the truck, the fender flares on this Chevy Colorado, they, they started, the paint started chipping. First it was the clear coat, and then we could see the paint was going. And, and not long after he got it, it was a used truck when he got it. And, and so started happening and I can tell you that there, it was nowhere on our radar to get this fixed. We had, we, we didn't want to put the money into it and we just had, you know, not, not going to have this truck repainted or the fender flares repainted. We're not going to do that. And then one day I got this phone call. It's that phone call that no parent ever wants to hear because it was the phone call that Caleb had been in an automobile accident. And he was actually right up here at the red light, right in front of Hardy's, sitting at the red light and someone rear-ended him from behind. Thankfully, Caleb was okay. You know, it was, it, it shook him up a little bit. Obviously, you know, mom and dad were a little shaken by it, but he was fine. And, but the truck was, was a little messed up. He could still drive it, but that back bumper and the tailgate, it just looked, it looked awful. And some of you have been seeing Caleb drive this truck around and you, you've thought, man, you know, that's, that's rough, you know, but we were in a battle with the insurance company, the other person's insurance company trying to collect the money. And finally, when all the funds came in, I decided, well, I'm going to shop around. They sent us a check, and I'm going to shop around. I'm going to see what I can get done. We ended up, get this, we ended up getting the rear bumper, a new rear bumper, a new tailgate, all of that painted. We got the entire truck repainted for less than what the insurance payout was. It's an amazing thing. Now, here's what I'm telling you. Unless... The moment of collision happens, his truck does not get repainted. It almost became welcomed to us, you know, like, oh, wow, we're kind of glad that happened now. Thank God he's okay, but, but man, we're glad. Caleb, I'm glad you got rear-ended, you know. Now the truck looks better. 
And what I've noticed is that God will often allow things to break in order for him to remake them. God will allow things to break in our lives in order for him to remake them. He will take what has been broken by others to make a person stronger. He will use the tragedies in your life to make you into a trophy for his kingdom. And when God touches a life with his divine touch and fixes what is broken, it's always better than it was before. So if your life is broken right now, just wait. Because when the potter puts you back on the wheel and he starts reshaping you and reforming you, you're going to be better once you get off the wheel than you were before you, the tragedy even happened in your life. 2 Corinthians 2 and 14 says this. It says, but thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumph as trophies of Christ's victory. As trophies. We are trophies of Christ's victory. In spite of our brokenness, we can still be displayed as trophies of what Christ has done in our lives, but that requires us to let God work through us and in us. And in Judges chapter 6, you can go ahead and turn there if you want to. In Judges chapter 6, the nation of Israel is being oppressed by the Midianites. For seven years, the Midianites made Israel's life extremely hard. The Midianites would would move into Israel when Israel's crops would come in and, and, and they would devour their crops and they would steal their livestock, take their livestock from them. If ever there was a nation that needed a strong, confident leader, Israel was that nation at this moment. And it would take someone with self-confidence to motivate men to fight for their families. So God appointed a leader to bring about deliverance for Israel. It's been about a year since I've, I've talked about this guy, but I want to bring him up today because I think this is so good for us to see on how God will take a tragic moment and turn it into his trophy. Judges chapter 6, we're introduced to the guy that that God puts on the platform to lead them. Judges chapter 6, verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizarite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the, na- the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? You ever prayed that prayer before? God, if you're real, why is this happening? God, if I'm your child, why is this happening? So he prays, or he says that back to the Lord. If the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. God chose Gideon for one of the most difficult situations in human history. The very few people on this planet have ever faced such a tough moment as Gideon had to face with this. God chooses him for a very hard task. And his response to God is this. My family is a weak family. And I'm the weakest of my family. God, why me? Why me? Why am I the one that you're choosing to walk through this trial? Why am I the one that you're choosing for such a difficult task? 
This was a broken man from a broken family living in a broken nation. And he was, he was not what we would consider a celebrated leader who was even capable of victory. But yet God is choosing him because God seldom, if ever, uses people who have it all together. Somebody should be thankful for that right now because you don't have it all together. I don't have it all together. But yet God still chooses to use me and, and, and hardly ever, if he ever does, God seldom uses people who have it all together. And God could care less about how many trophies he or his family had won in the past. God was probably more impressed with how many trophies he didn't have. You know, God is less concerned about your accomplishments. He's more concerned about what he can accomplish through you. And in James chapter 4 and verse 6, the, the Bible says that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so if you are living life valued on your trophies and what you have done in life, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God did not choose Gideon because he was the most qualified to lead them to victory. He chose him because he was the least likely to succeed. The least likely to succeed. And if Gideon wins, no questions asked, God gets the glory. If Gideon can lead this army to defeat the Midianites, everyone will have to say that God did this for the nation of Israel. When they started to recruit, the Bible tells us that there were 32,000 men that show up now, this is a miracle all in itself because he is from a weak family. He's the weakest in his family, and he is from a very weak nation in this moment. They can't stand up for themselves. So this is not a good leader. But yet 32,000 men show up to be led by him. That's a miracle all in itself. Uh, trust me, I know what that feels like because sometimes I stand right here so broken but yet some, somewhere between 500 and 550 people will show up today to hear God's word here on this campus. And, and it amazes me. I, I put myself in Gideon's shoes sometimes that God, why? Why would anybody want to show up and hear me speak? Why would anyone want to show up? And I know, I know you don't come here for me, but, but I mean, you at least want to get fed a little bit, you know, and God, why? Why is this happening? Why? Why? It's a miracle all in itself. And for 32,000 men to show up to Gideon under his leadership, I know that this was a miracle. But God says, no, that's way too many, way too many men, way too many men. And according to Judges chapter 8, the Midianite army had at least 135,000, 135,000 men. And so if 32,000 Israelites show up, Israeli men, if they show up for this fight, they are still drastically outnumbered. And, and God says, that, that's way too many. I don't need that many to accomplish what I want to do for the nation of Israel. And through a series of cuts, God gave Gideon 300 men, 300, 32,000 to 300 to take on 135,000. God gave him 300 men and their most distinguishing characteristic was not that they were proven warriors, not that they were proven champions, not that they had a trophy case full of trophies, but that they drank water in a different position than the other men did. That was 
the deciding characteristic. Instead of them lapping it up like dogs, God said, with their faces in the water, these men kept watch and they were looking and bringing it to their mouth with their hand. And that's the reason why God decided to keep those 300 men. From 32,000 to 300, Gideon's army became only a fraction of what it had been. And God had had taken an already broken man from a broken family living in a broken nation and he just breaks him down even more. You've heard the phrase, when it rains, it pours. This is when it rains, it pours. This is a bad situation that just went from bad to worse. With 32,000, we can't do this, but now you're leaving me with 300. But God put some interesting tools in his hands and that's really what I want to focus on today. Because in Judges chapter 7, the tools that he puts in their hands, it's, it's more than sufficient to bring about this victory as long as you have God on your side. Judges chapter 7, verse 16. And he divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets into the hands of all of them and empty jars with torches inside the jars. And he said to them, look at me. And do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Some translations say a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon gave each one of his men, all 300 of them, a trumpet in their right hand, And in their left hand, they had a clay jar with a torch inside the jar. Now, throughout the Bible, the trumpet is used for many reasons, but it's usually associated with with one of two things. The the first one being calling people to assembly. If you want to gather everyone together, then you, you raise the trumpet, have someone blow the trumpet, and it signifies we're meeting, we're getting together. So everyone come in. The other thing that it, it often uh, accompanies throughout Scripture is this. It's, it's an offering of praise to God. Now think about this. 300 men all have trumpets. They're all together, all in the same place. So it's highly unlikely that these trumpets would be used to assemble the army. This is going to be about praise. Stay with me. Stay with me. This is going to be about praise. And one of the hardest things for us to do is praise when we are broken in battle. When you're in the middle of the fight, it is so hard to praise God in the middle of that fight. It's hard to praise God when you're in the middle of that storm. When you're fighting to keep your head above water, it's it's hard to sing of his loving hand. When, When you just don't feel God moving in your life at all. You feel like the heavens are silent. It's hard to sing praise during that time. And we often reserve our praise as a response to God's blessings. It's easy to praise God whenever everything's going right. It's easy to praise God when you can pay all the bills. When your health is good. It's easy to sing praise to God when when everybody's feeling good, right? And in the seasons of life that we feel like God has smiled upon, his, smiled upon us, we will praise him. And while God certainly deserves our praise for his blessings bestowed upon us, even when we don't ask for, him, ask for them, there is this, uh, this other type of praise in Hebrew that's called teruah. And teruah means a shout, a battle cry. 
Uh, Psalm 47 and 1, we see this, this word. It says, clap your hands, all people. Shout, teruah, shout to God with loud songs of joy. And then four verses later in verse 5, it says, God has gone up with a shout, teruah, a shout. The Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Let me tell you what this is. This is a pre-victory shout. This is a shout that happens either before or during the battle. It is a war cry that gets your adrenaline pumping. It's a statement of faith that this victory is on the way. It's an encouragement for you. You've been there before. You, you, you've been there in, in some type of competitive sport. Uh, we see it all the time on TV. You'll hear an athlete. They'll scream out, just getting themselves pumped up. We won't talk about last night's football game. We'll just keep moving. Some of our staff members, men and women on our staff, they like to scare each other. I don't know where they get it from. It's not like I started this thing or anything, but, but um, poor Alexis, my Lord, Alexis, you have been the victim of so many surprise attacks, more than once. And you, you, know, you know bubble wrap? I'm not talking about the little firecracker bubble wrap where you just, you know, pop, 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 are you, you know, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the big long stretches of bubble wrap that they put in, you know, where if you pop that, it, it sounds like a bazooka. I have witnessed Alexa sitting at her desk and Andrew come up behind her with a large piece of bubble wrap, one of the big ones. jumps out of her desk. I've watched some of these people around the office go up behind each other with a bullhorn and the siren. And when they turn it on, people about go nuts. It's crazy. The, the practical jokes that happen sometimes are just way, way out there. I mean, it, and it scares us, but, but they fight back. They all do. I've seen them. They hide behind desks. They hide behind doors. They'll scare each other. As, as the other person walks out of the bathroom, they'll scare each other. At least they're courteous and wait for them to go to the bathroom, you know. So, I mean, the victory is won in the strength of the shout. They'll be coming up the, the ramp into the offices, and as they're walking through the front door, someone's hiding there, and, and if you can shout louder, you'll get a, a louder scare out of them too. And, and the victory is won in, in, in whoever screams first, because if you can scream loud, and, and it's this scream that basically says, got them, you know, yeah, I got you, you you're, you're scared. You might be broken and bombarded, but listen to me, church, listen, please hear my words. You may be broken and bombarded, but, but if you can just muster up a shout, just a praise shout, you just might win this fight that you're in right now. Whoever shouts first usually gets the victory. You don't need to learn to praise. You need to live to praise. That's where you're at. The trumpets in the hands of Gideon's small army, they were a confession of faith. They were a war cry, a, a praise in advance, if you will. But it's the second and third items that, that Gideon handed his men that really stand out to me. Because they go hand in hand. Actually, they go in the same hand. God gave each man, or Gideon gave each man a clay jar with a torch inside. And he instructed them to put the lit, lit torch under the clay jar. And, and, and this battle, you have to remember, is being fought in the middle of the night. It is completely dark. There's no city lights to light anything up. It is dark. 
And so under the cover of darkness, Gideon and his men, 300, surround 135,000 in their camp. And they spread out in three different companies around this camp, all hiding the light that they're hiding under the jar. And when Gideon slams his jar down on the ground, and they raise their lit torches, 300 men light up that camp. And they all shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Now, here's what's interesting. None of them have a sword. Nobody has, in Gideon's army, nobody has a sword. They have a trumpet. (laughs) They have a broken jar on the ground. And they have a torch. And they are drastically outnumbered. And they shout, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Let me tell you what they were doing. They were prophesying against the enemy's weapons. The Midianites had the swords. We know that. Because these men, when they woke up, they were so confused and so scared. They jumped up, drew their swords, and just started swinging. They had no idea what was happening to their camp. All they see are lights all the way around their camp. They hear these noise. They hear trumpets of praise that are being, that are being shouted. And, and these men turn on each other. And, and Gideon and his army, they prophesied to the enemy's weapon. And they turn on each other and start killing the, each other with their own swords. This is one of the most amazing battles. A few of them escape out of the camp and they take off running. They chase them down and kill them too. True story. This happened. This is part of Israel's history. Let me tell you what you've got to start doing. Start prophesying against some of the enemy's weapons. You tired of racism? Then start speaking love over people. Start speaking love over this nation. Get off Facebook, get off Twitter with all your hate and start just magnifying God through the love that we have. Oh, I can tell I'm, I'm, I'm upsetting some people right now. If you're tired of sickness in your home, then you start prophesying against what the enemy, you start prophesying health into your life. A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. You know what? A a, a sword for the Lord and for Rocky. I'm speaking health over my home. If you're tired of struggling financially, then you start prophesying against what the enemy is trying to destroy you with, and that's finances. It's all God's anyway. Why don't you just start prophesying of the blessings of God into your family? That's exactly what Gideon and his men did. They didn't have a sword, but yet they started speaking against the weapons of the enemy and they turned on each other. Now, now here's really what I want us to understand today as I I bring this to a close. We are the clay jars originally made from the earth. Genesis tells us that we were made from the dirt of the ground. And sometimes, church, the light inside of us is not exposed until the heat of the battle breaks our vessels. The enemy, he's not ready for that kind of fight. He's he's not ready for that kind of faith. He, He doesn't think that it's in you. And you will see the enemy running when your light comes forth out of your brokenness. When whatever you're going through, when it has its completeness in you and it breaks you, there's something inside of a Christian that rises up. There's something that says, no, no, uh, 
Satan, you are not going to win today. There's, there's a light that comes forth and it penetrates the darkness. And it does not allow the enemy to take you out. You, you may be beaten up. You might be bruised, broken. But I'm telling you right now, you're not out of this fight. And that brokenness lets that light come forth. And it's that breaking that it transforms us from this defensive position to an offensive position. You see, some of you, you've been on the defense for so long, it's time for you to start swinging some punches back at the enemy. Being broken in the hands of God will allow that to happen in your life. Now, as I close this out, let me just tell you about God's trophy case because it's an amazing, amazing trophy case. From a distance, they all look near perfect. But if you look real close, you'll see their repairs. We look at them, we call them the saints of God. The Bible is full of these people. We see them and we think, man, if I could just have that kind of faith. But you start looking real close and you start seeing where God has repaired this life and that life. You'll see Jacob's scar of deceitfulness. You'll see David's blemish of adultery. You'll see Solomon's idolatry, Elijah's depression, Peter's cursing, and Paul's anger. You'll see all of that. And all of these people were broken in tragedy but triumphed as a trophy in God's trophy case. You can too. Because I look around this room right now and I see some of us, but we've been broken in tragedy. But yet God is using us to do some amazing things for his kingdom. We're, we're one of his trophies. 2 Corinthians 2 and 14 again, it says, But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumph as trophies of Christ's victory. What Christ has done, it flows through our lives. Listen, if you're being broken, don't discount what's happening. This tough time that you're going through right now, don't dismiss that and think that it's not vital for your growth. You're going to come through on the other side of this stronger than you've ever been. Don't discount a person being broken. God is turning that tragedy into a trophy. And that's the only way God can use you. God cannot use people who are successful all in themselves. He will not do that. God is a jealous God and he alone deserves the glory. And that's why he'll take someone like Gideon. The weakest family the weakest part of his family from a very weak nation. And he says, I'll use you. And you won't win it with conventional weapons. No. You might have to praise your way through this one. You might have to let your light shine through some broken clay. But I'll fix you. And when I fix you, you'll be better than you ever were before. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.